Welcome to Hospitality Forward. My name is Hannah Lee. I am president and founder of Hannah Lee Communications, an award-winning public relations agency specialized in hospitality and travel. We love storytelling and building national and global brands for spirits, cocktail bars, restaurants, hotels, and destinations. And I'm Michael Anstendig, editor-in-chief at Hannah Lee Communications and a food and beverage writer. This podcast is for hospitality and travel professionals who want to learn how to earn the media spotlight. As a journalist myself and Hannah as a PR professional, we understand the power of media coverage and its positive impact on someone's career and business. That's why we're undertaking this Giving Back to the Community initiative. So tune in every week to hear us interview top journalists who share their insights and tips. Hannah and I are also the authors and producers of our agency's first book, The Japanese Art of the Cocktail, which is now available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and independent bookstores nationwide. Actually, it was just rated a best book of 2021 by Barnes & Noble. Each week, we give away a copy of The Japanese Art of the Cocktail to our listeners, so please share a pitching tip you found most interesting from our episode and email us at info at hannaleecommunications.com. That's I-N-F-O at H-A-N-N-A-L-E-E communications with an S dot com. And remember to have hospitality forward in the subject line for a chance to win a book. In this episode, we're delighted to chat with Wayne Curtis, a freelance journalist whose work appears in The Daily Beast, Imbibe, and Garden and Gun. Wayne was a longtime columnist for The Atlantic and won the Spirit Award for Best Cocktail and Spirits Writing at this year's Tales of the Cocktail, where he also earned top accolades in 2017. He's the author of, and a bottle of rum, A History of the New World in 10 Cocktails. Wayne humorously describes himself as good at simplifying the complicated and complicating the simple. Hi, Wayne. Welcome to the show. Hi, Hannah. Michael, how are you? Good. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. We're honored and privileged to have you on the show. First of all, congratulations are in order. We salute you for winning the Best Cocktail and Spirits Rider Award at this year's Tales of the Cocktail. Woohoo! Congratulations. Yeah, woo. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks very much. Some, some good competition there as well. This is your second win for the category, which you first won in 2017, I believe. So it's a double celebration. Two cheese plates. Absolutely. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Wayne, uh, currently you are a drinks columnist for the Daily Beast, Imbibe, and Garden and Gun. Can you tell us what we need to know about each publication, like from the audience to subjects that you cover? So let's let's start with the Daily Beast, where you are the half-full columnist. I uh, are a half-full columnist. Also, David Wondrich and Lou Bryson contribute regularly and they've got and Noah Rothbaum, the editor, has a stable of, of good freelancers there. So I'm part of a, a team there. Uh, the Daily Beast is a very much a general interest publication. It's it's very broad. Half full is a sort of a sub publication within the Daily Beast, which covers uh, food and drink, mostly drink, and uh, all different aspects of it, from news uh, and the industry to pop culture to history. Dave Wondrich particularly has been doing some great deep dives into history there. So I, I feel that the goal in writing for Daily Beast 
is to get somebody who may not be necessarily interested in drink and to bring them in. I don't feel that I'm writing specifically for the drinker at Daily Beast. I'm writing for a general reader who might just be interested in what's out there, what types of stories are out there. And this one just happens to be, these just happen to be involved related to drink. Uh, let's talk about Imbibe, another award-winning publications, and they just won the Best Spirits Publication Award at TOTC as well. They did. Can you tell us about what we need to know about this publication? Obviously, we love, love, love Imbibe, and Karen and Paul are doing amazing work there. <clears throat> it's not Daily Beast in that you can assume much more knowledge among the reader about spirits and cocktails. There, It's a, a more educated group of people who are reading Imbibe. I mean, educated in cocktails. So it's not a matter of bringing people in. It's a matter of providing information that they might not already have. And they probably have a lot of information. But the, it's consumer targeted, but is very educated consumer when it comes to cocktails. And then almost every story I do, I could write three different ways for three different audiences. But Imbibe is sort of that middle range of the the connoisseur consumer with some industry as well, uh, reading Imbibe. I love the connoisseur consumer. That's perfect description. How about uh, Garden and Gun? Garden and Gun is a whole other, whole other thing. It's, uh, for those who don't know Garden and Gun, it's a Southern magazine. It covers the South lifestyle. The title is a little bit facetious. It was named after a bar that appeared in a novel. But it's also pretty brilliant in that so many lifestyle magazines are either targeted at either men, like GQ or Esquire, or they're targeted at women, you know, like Vogue or Cosmopolitan. Garden Guns seems to hit them both. They, they cover hunting. They cover the uh, sports. They cover the arts. They cover crafts. They, it's, it has a very uh, devoted following, and it seems to be uh, go across the spectrum in, in gender. Um, and for them, the assumption that I bring to Garden and Gun uh, is that they like to drink. They're mostly pretty knowledgeable, but they want to try something that they haven't tried yet. In some ways, with, with Garden and Gun, we can have it a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but also it has to be pretty high quality. They're always looking for the offbeat, fairly sophisticated, a fairly affluent readership uh, and that likes to drink. In general, uh, how, how do you choose the topics you write about? I mean, they're so wide-ranging. What's your what's your criteria? My criteria is very simple. Does it interest me? Is this something I want to spend a week pursuing? Uh, does this fascinate me? Is there something that doesn't really line up right here that just it seems a little bit off? I mean, it's just sort of like like I said with the post office story. It's just one question, which is like, why can't you mail a bottle of liquor? How did that come to happen? This reminds me, I, when I, I, I did it. I wrote for a while for the Atlantic Monthly. I did a drinks column for them and I did travel for them for quite a while. And one story I pitched them on travel, which was what happened to the no vacancy sign on motels. There used to be all motels used to have a no vacancy sign on, on, on them and then they disappeared. I, I pitched it to the editor. I just said, what happened to the no vacancy sign? She said, I don't know. What do you, what happened? I said, I don't know. Pay me and I'll go find out. It's just a simple question. So most stories that I intrigued by just begin with a very simple question. Why can't you do something or why do you do something the way you do? The one that I'm 
a little bit interested in now, and I haven't really started researching, is that everyone talks about sort of Christmas spices, which now is sort of conflated with pumpkin spice. But like, why why did those spices become associated with Christmas? And I haven't known that I've seen anything on that. I'd like to do some research on that, and maybe that'll be a story. So it's just simple questions that I think that draw me in. For the rest of the year, what type of stories interest you? It's uh, it's a mishmash of stuff. I'm looking for different stories that are coming uh, down the line. I'm working on a piece now on a nutmeg liqueur. Speaking of of Christmas spices, uh, I've got another piece on the history of cat behind Cafe Brulot, which is pretty fascinating. New Orleans drink. Been working on a distillers that have been working with winemakers that have their grapes have been ruined by smoke tank because of all the wildfires. I've been working with them to make vodka and brandy out of the grapes, sort of as a salvage operation, which is interesting. And then another story I'm working on now is on how a bar in Chattanooga came up with a variation on the jungle bird, which and then, of course, also fascinating that Chattanooga has a really pretty great bar scene going on right now. So so those are some of the things I'm, that are in my pipeline right now. And I'm in Maine now. I'll be driving back to New Orleans in a couple of weeks, and usually I plot my route so that I can wind through the South and hit bars that are unfamiliar to me and talk to bartenders. And I'm sure by the time I get back to New Orleans, I will have a, a list of another half dozen stories that I'd like to work on. How do you choose people to interview? So like, do you have a specific criteria or like, how do you go about finding these fascinating folks to feature in your story? It's just throwing a wide net and pulling in the interesting ones. I may end up talking to three or four people, but find that one has the most interesting story. Occasionally, those come in through press releases. Not a lot of stories come off of press releases that I do, not at least right off the bat. But what does happen is that I don't delete press releases. I have I have the extra, the extra beefy Gmail account, so I can just fill up my Gmail inbox. Over the course of, what, 10 years now, I've been hoarding press releases in there. When I go to work on a topic, I can just type it in there and call up all the press releases uh, or, or sometimes articles and often often Mark Brown newsletters uh, that refer to uh, either a certain brand or a trend or whatever's happening. And then I can follow up. And I think a lot of my emails begin with, hello, I Four years ago, you sent me this press release. Are you still <laughs> representing this brand? And uh, so that's one way of finding people. Obviously, Google turns up all sorts of interesting people. The other uh, way is that whenever I interview somebody, usually at the end of an interview, I finish off by saying, is there anybody else you think I should talk to? And they uh, often will say, yeah, you should talk to my friend Jimmy, who's out there in Spokane, and give me a, they'll connect me with email, and then I'll call them. So it's it's a mix of ways to find people who have stories to tell. I love that. For our listeners' benefit, uh, besides knowing the kinds of stories that you write, what are some do's and don'ts for pitching you? Well, don't. Okay, I'll start with a don't. I am I am an agnostic when it comes to these secular holidays like National Beer and a Shot Day, National Vodka Day, National Margarita Day. If I if somebody sends me a press release that involves one of those, it's pretty much a guarantee it's going directly into the to the uh, archive at, at Gmail. I mean, those those days don't exist. Um, and I, I know there are publications that are starved, particularly websites that are starved for 
content and will are interested in the that's National Peanut Butter Day and here's a peanut butter whiskey recipe. I am not one of those. And if by sending those to me, you're sort of acknowledging that you've never read anything that I've done or you're not calling your list and paying attention. So I think that's that's one of the main don'ts. And I guess the main do is to know your writer and to make a connection. I think some of the PR people that I've come to rely on and you know, bring value to what I do are those who will send me story ideas that aren't their clients. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, it doesn't take much to impress me, but when I get a, some, something from a, a PR person that says, hey, I saw this story. I thought this was really interesting. I thought this was sort of fit up your alley. They're not my client. That's like, that impresses me, I'm going to say. And so when they send me a pitch down the line for one of their clients, I'm going to be more inclined to, to uh, take it seriously because I know that they're paying attention to what I'm doing and that they're not going to waste my time with a National Peanut Butter Day pitch. Let's move on to something that we all love, rum. Other than tasting good, are there any other reason that you find it so fascinating? It's, it continues to be the history that fascinates me and also the, the politics of rum. It's, it's, in a lot of ways, a very immature spirit in the way it's developed uh, in people's imagination. Like, very few people go into a bar and say, let me have a whiskey. They say, let me have a scotch or let me have a bourbon or a rye or a Canadian whiskey. And those are all considered different categories where rum even though it's made in all different places, people go and say, I just want some rum. People don't say, I want a Martinique Agricole rum, or I want a Jamaican high ester rum, or I want a Puerto Rican light rum. All could be different separate categories in the same way scotch is different from Irish whiskey. So rum is still sort of finding its way. And it's, it's made in so many different jurisdictions. And it's so confusing to so many people that that, to me, is fascinating. And the fact you can go try a rum and uh, you get a funky Jamaican rum from Hamden Estates, it's not going to be even in the same category as a light Puerto Rican rum. Uh, you, people who taste them both who aren't familiar with it are going to assume they're two completely different spirits. And then throw in a, a, a white agricole from Martinique or Guadeloupe and it's rums all over the place. So I, I like that aspect of rum that it, it's, the flavors vary so much. And as a writer, I like the fact that this confuses the public so much and nobody can quite figure it out. And there's all these fighting over how to define rum and how to make it more palatable and more streamlined to the market. And I don't think that's ever going to get resolved. So that makes it fun to, to follow. Rum, rum appeals to me in, on all different levels, from history to politics to taste. So speaking of rum, your book and a bottle of rum is a must read for any rum fancier or anyone who wants to gain a deeper appreciation of our nation's history through a boozy lens. So what made you decide to write it? Well, as I was saying earlier, it was really the history that drew me in. I wanted to find out what role that rum played in the, uh, you know, the evolution of American history. Why was it part of the American Revolution? Why was it uh, part of the slave trade? And that just that drew me in. Once I got into it, it it sort of had its own interior life, which fascinated me, and with how it was made, and where it traveled, and and how it, you know. And I, I started writing the book. I had no idea that there were like 160 rum distilleries in New England prior to the American Revolution. Things like that uh, just became more and more fascinating to me. So it's 
it, 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 it's just pulled me along and it continues to pull me along. I still, I think I'm learning things about rum that I, that I didn't know. In our industry, um, a lot of bartenders and bar directors or bar owners, a lot of people want to write a book. What, why do you think people should write a book or who should write a book? And, and who shouldn't? <laughs> I'd say most people shouldn't. Um, the, the people who shouldn't do it shouldn't do it for ego or for to, to create a calling card. The people who should do it are somebody that has something that they want to say, that they have something that fascinates them, and that basically that they can live with for three to four years uh, between thinking about it, writing it, revising it, and marketing it. It's uh, it's a it's a long term partner. I uh, yeah, I'd like to. People that have genuinely interesting and deep questions should write books. People that want to have had written a book should not write books. But that said, I'm seeing a lot of, I think this is a separate category, is the cocktail books from bars. I like most of those because they sort of are a snapshot in time. And I think that 50, 100 years from now, they'll be valuable because uh, people, the bar tenders tend to not only have all the recipes that they may have been serving there for the last five to 10 years, but also a little bit about their philosophy and their approach and some anecdotes about their bars. So I think those are valuable. I encourage borrowers to keep doing those as long as they don't have any super high expectations on sales and retirement. So we, we call our podcasts Hospitality Forward. So we're, we're curious if there are any individuals or organizations that you think have been really innovating and moving hospitality forward? Yeah, it's, it's, it's like where to start. There's uh, and particularly now that there's been so much happening with the pandemic and people have had to take on different roles. Uh, it's not so much a matter of moving hospitality forward. The last few years has been keeping hospitality from sliding off backwards off a cliff. And I've been seeing a lot of uh, good activity across the board on that. I've been impressed overall by the creativity and the bar scene over the last 18 months as people have been figuring out ways to survive and ways to support their their staff. You know, I remember talking to a couple of bar owners um, that own more than one bar right after you know March or April 2020 and asking them how things were going. And they were saying, well, my job has changed. I, I've gone from being someone who you know unclogs toilets and oversees people uh, losing their temper with customers to someone filling out paperwork and having to learn all this government uh, talk to ensure that all my employees have gotten unemployment, that they're getting taken care of, that they're getting the, the loans that they need. And there was a lot of change up uh, on that, which I saw across the board, which, which really uh, impressed me. I think people in our industry are most creative, but also resilient. And watching them surviving and 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 being so creative, it just makes us feel so uh, grateful to be in our industry and being part of that community. So, we agree with you hundred percent. All right, now let's get to something close to our hearts. Uh, we believe that uh, your favorite cocktail is the Sazerac. So if you had to choose a historical figure to share one with, who would that be and why? But also, how about if you have to choose one person from our industry, who would that be? 
contemporary. See her historic figure. I'd love to meet up with E.B. White, a writer for The New Yorker, uh, who had a farm here in Maine and whose writing it's never gone out of date. This stuff is just stays so current. I think a lot of people know about him from his children's books, Charlotte's Web and, uh, and others, but his New Yorker writing is, uh, is extraordinary. And it just uh, impresses me so much that it, it always feels current. If it's writing about World War II, it could be writing about the Iraq war and about Americans response to it. So he'd be the one I would, I would just love to, to have a drink with him. And as for a current uh, industry person, I, I, I would have to say Mark Brown at the Sazerac Company, who also fascinates me. I think he's one of the brightest people in the industry, and he's he's funny, and he's got a good 30,000-foot view of what's going on. And I'd love to pick his brain a little bit more about what where he sees things evolving and where things are headed. So maybe someday the, three, the four of us can get together for that drink. Wouldn't that be great? And, and New Orleans, preferably. Yes. All right. Well, speaking of New Orleans and travel, so if you have to choose one country, um, international destination, where would that be and why? Not so much the country as a city, but I'm, I hate to admit this, but I've never been to Mexico City. I've transferred through at the airport there. I've been to Oaxaca. I've been to Baja. been to Guadalajara. Never spent any time in Mexico City, and I have so many friends who go down there and come back completely mesmerized by the place, by its food, its drink, uh, the culture there. So that's high on my list, and that's not a big lift for me from New Orleans. I should I leave in the morning and be there by lunch. So I'll, uh, I'm, try, I'm working on trying to make that happen in the next uh, six months or so. So that's probably first on, on my list. And then, then maybe Edinburgh. Maybe get, get back to Scotland to see what's happening with the drinks there as well. One of our favorite places. I mean, Mexico City is just absolutely beautiful. And the cocktail scene there is just so... As, as you well know. It's fascinating, you know, and drinking tequila in Mezcal is not a bad thing either. Not a bad thing. And and rum and whiskey. They're making all sorts of interesting stuff in Mexico. Absolutely. Now, now they're making gin as well. So... You can drink any spirits in uh, Mexico. We have to ask this question. We do of all of our interviewees, and that's what's the best way to reach you to pitch a story idea? Uh, Email is probably the easiest, and they could get to me through my webpage, which is waynecurtis.com, and there's a thing you click on for contact, and the form will come up, and uh, we'll get your email, and I will answer it. Great. Well, thank you so much. And what a treat to have you uh, on our show and chat this long. We appreciate your time. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. That was a fascinating chat. Wayne is so scholarly and engaging. Now that you know what Wayne is looking for, please feel free to reach out to him and introduce yourself. And don't forget to mention that you heard him on our podcast. We have a lot of exciting media guests in the pipeline, so please subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast app. Please leave a review and tell your friends and colleagues who you think would benefit from the tips our journalist friends share on our show. See you next week. Until then, join us as we move hospitality forward together.